I keep saying one thing to my team and to my colleagues, which is if I had to choose one key element in the HR suite of things that has to work well, that one element for me would be performance management. And why I say performance management is to me the most important thing is uh, because of the very topic of tonight. So if you start well with performance management, you start by having objectives which are aligned across business. Welcome to the World Class Leaders Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high performance and leadership advisor, executive coach and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new LinkedIn Live. And thank you so much for being with us today. We have such an important topic to discuss because it's one of the things that come out quite often when we talk with leaders. Alignment, execution, performance. So that is really key. Now, before starting with an introduction to our guest today and the main topic of the conversation, just a few notes for those people that are maybe new, that haven't participated yet in any of my LinkedIn Lives. So First of all, let me know if you are there right now, if you can listen us, if you can see us, please thumbs up if you're there. But also, let us know where you are in the world. So maybe introduce yourself and just say hi and where you are, because at least we can understand as well what sort of audience today is going to join us. The other thing I would like to tell you is this LinkedIn Live will be recorded and the recording will be then part of my podcast show. So if you are not aware of my podcast is called the World Class Leader Show. And I introduce and speak with leaders like Mauro and many others, different things about leadership, primarily CEOs, but also the C-suite leaders. That's the idea. So if you don't know the podcast, you can find it on my profile or you can find it as well on Spotify, Apple, on your favorite platform. Last thing before introducing Mauro is just remember that we want to have a very engaging conversation with all of you because otherwise we won't get the most out of this conversation. So use the comments that you'll find in your LinkedIn Live page. And again, making sure that you are active, you're engaging, ask questions if you want to. We'll try to answer as many as possible questions, but also if you have any insights, maybe some ideas based on the conversation we're having, because that is going to be a key conversation. About me, my name is Andrea Petrone. I'm a leadership and a performance advisor. And with me today, there is Mauro Ghilardi. Mauro, welcome to the live. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. And I see already some comments. So, David, hello. Great. So, please remember, let us know where you are in the world and introduce yourself in a comment box. So, the topic of today is team alignment to burnout, silos, and improve performance. And I have decided to invite Mauro. And Mauro is the Chief Human Resource Officer of A2A, or we call it in Italian A2A. So, he's an energy company. But Mauro will tell you more about his career, because he has a, such an interesting story to share. And also he will tell you more about his role in the company. But then we're going to 
deep dive into the main topic of today. All right, so Mauro, over to you. So why don't you introduce yourself? Right, so thank you again and uh, hi everybody. So uh, Mauro Ghilardi, I'm Italian. I started my career a long time ago, as my gray hair can tell you. I started and mainly done uh, HR work. I started as an HR practitioner. I've been working in uh, different industries. I've been working a large time, a large part of my career abroad. So I lived uh, and worked abroad for 12 years and returned to Italy about six years ago. A2A is by eight companies. So I've worked in seven companies before and many more industries. So I have experience working in different type of industry, different type of environment and different geographies as well. At A2A, I am the head of HR, but I'm also the head of shell services and uh, property management. And so I can see things in a rather, and, and procurement by the way, so I can see things in a different shadow as compared to my previous roles in which I was just focused on HR. Uh, A2A is a 13,000 employee company, Italian. Uh, we mainly work in Italy. And as Andrea was saying, we work in the energy business, uh, which also means waste, which also means water. In a word, everything that uh, we provide services to all the basic services that can make our cities and our consumer and our customer being able to produce a, to live a producing life. So it's like water distribution and cleaning, uh, waste treatment, energy, pr uh, private and industrial. So a rather complex business, especially in these challenging times when it comes to energy and gas price and so on. Indeed. Thank you so much, Mauro, for making the introduction. I think one of the interesting things about Mauro, from my understanding, I mean, we had a lot of chat before, of course, coming live. Mauro has this such a very broad experience. I mean, by the way, he works internationally, so he has also a very international mindset. So he sees things in a very different way than maybe many other leaders do in their own country. Also, he has this broad, really broad experience in terms of role and remit, as you just said, Mauro. So it's really more about the traditional with all respect, of course, the chief human resource officer, maybe they've been in, into HR role for most of their career, and maybe they have seen things only from that perspective. So I think Mauro is going to give us probably an interesting twist or interesting cherries on the cake. So Mauro, I would like to start with this. We all know, I mean, it's not either surprise or a news that if there is no alignment at the top, that would be very difficult to achieve any performance in organizations. However, as much as we know this, this in my experience, many organizations really fail to find disagreement, disalignment at the top. So in your experience, what are the major challenges for leaders, particularly CEOs, when they want to find alignment you know, with your C-suite? So what are the challenges and also maybe some interesting takeaways of your experience how to find this alignment to make sure that then the organization then will be able to execute. And we will talk about execution a little bit later anyway in the show. But tell us your thoughts about alignment. So let me start with prefacing my conversation. So as we discussed, Andrea, there are people and companies that are making a business out of this very topic, right? Yes. So here I'm just bringing my own perspective and my own experience. So as much as broad and thanks for your kind words, is still my perspective and my experience, so it's not based on hundreds of years of consulting that many other organizations can put in place. So I keep saying one thing to my team and to my colleagues, which is if I had to choose one key element in the HR suite of things that has to work well, that one element for me would be performance management. And why I say performance management is 
to be the most important thing is uh, because of the very topic of tonight. So if you start well with performance management, you start by having objectives which are aligned across businesses. So mm. that's the very first topic. And then everything else follows the measurement, the conversation, the coaching, the feedback, the, the impact on salary and so on. But the very key element is how do you start with a team which has objectives which are aligned across themselves? And the step before that is, uh, and then at my advice to any senior leader that might be here, to any HR practitioner that might be listening to us is, it all starts with motivation and it all starts with uh, understanding what motivates people in a different way. One of the key mistakes that I keep hearing from leaders is uh, to think that what motivates them motivates the other. I had conversation earlier today around, well, the key element to make this program work is to assign an objective and to link money to that. Not true. There are people that are motivated by money. There are people that are motivated by power. There are people that are motivated by making something good for others. So as a leader, if you want to align a team across common objective, the first thing is to understand what motivates your team. And now you can find a common ground. That's to me is lesson number one. Lesson number two is uh, to be clear about what motivates you and why you want to achieve such things. So be transparent about uh, your own uh, way to achieve objective and why it's important for you and for the organization. And the third important topic is our people benefiting or not from each other alignment and performance. So one thing I've seen and I work in day to days is not dramatically different from other organizations that I've been in is everybody is very focused on their own little turf. And uh, the assumption is if everybody makes great in their little turf, the company will be great as a whole. Now, unfortunately, this is probably old business. This is probably something that I've never seen before. I've seen organizations in which focusing on your own silos, as you call it, will tear down the company value because you will enter or not enter in any alignment with the others. So I think that clarifying this as a leader and clarifying that the whole is much more than the sum of the part is important. And it is important to clarify also that as a leader, you want to reward that whole system rather than to reward individual silos. Yes, yes. Well, that's wonderful. I think it's a very good start because I have so many maybe comments and questions. I will probably start with this. And by the way, they are in the audience. Just confirm that you are seeing us well and you're hearing well too. And feel free to start making comments or maybe asking questions if you have about the topic, because we're talking about alignment right now. So one thing that I want to pick from what you said, Mauro, you mentioned all start from performance matrix. And I love that because I think it's one of my personal experience on issues about alignment is the fact that sometimes leaders, they tend to have their own agenda within the team. And that's not necessarily because they want to, but just because sometimes maybe they don't fully agree with the direction that the company is taking. And then maybe even silently, they start taking different directions and setting different priorities for their own teams. And again, I don't think it's necessarily because they want to jeopardize or hijack the, the whole strategy of the organization. It's just because maybe they don't feel they're part of it. So I love that. When we mentioned about sharing objectives on performance matrix, one of the challenges I see is there are so many potential objectives around now in the organization because there are so many twists that you have to make, different strategies on direction that you can take given 
trends, opportunities in the market. Is it so easy or maybe it's more complicated to share common objective, but for the things that matter? Because sometimes people share objective on little things and then on the big picture, they find more challenging to agree on. No, you're totally spot on, Andrea. I mean, one of the major pitfalls of performance management system, and there are many, is uh, to have uh, such a granular level of objectives, which at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, right? So my advice to people, my advice to leader, my advice to myself is uh, because I also have the tendency to, I say, you know, I have so many things to do and yeah. I just want to make sure that all of my team recognize themselves into my objective, right? Because I'm going to do a cascade to my team. So I feel bad if one important part of my organization is not represented in my objective because they might feel that they are not important to me. Now, the key thing to me is to choose uh, three, four, maximum five transformational objectives you want to focus on. And then your day-to-day, -day, it's important, is what keeps the light on, is what keeps the business alive, but it's not going to necessarily be an objective in your mm. performance. So you just need to focus on what matters, what makes a difference, and what can be transformational. And you cannot have more than three to five a year. Otherwise, you're just missing the point. You're making the, the running the machine part of your objective, which is not. You are paid for that. You have a base salary most of the time to do that. Just focus on what makes a difference. But it's hard to choose. And as you said, at times we are not clear with leaders. Uh, leaders are not clear with their followers. And uh, people that would go off and make their own agenda because people need the direction. And as you said, it's not because I want to be against the direction of the company, exactly. but it's not so clear. So I just make up my own one, right? Because I need to provide clarity to my team. That's why team alignment is really key. That's huge. And then it creates this vicious cycle when you start really working on different priorities and you are really start maybe side projects that are not even more consistent anymore with the big, big strategy. Great. I have a question then about what happens maybe when you don't find alignment, how you deal with that. But before getting into the question, because then it's going to lead us more into the execution side. You mentioned before the motivational element, and I love that because you're right. Everyone is motivated by different factors. And in my personal experience, money is not necessarily a strong motivator, especially after level of, of pay. And normally, if we talk about alignment at the top, then normally that is the case. Do you think CEOs in particular, leaders at your level, the C-suite, they really care about personal motivation? I mean, the fact that you said it because definitely you care, but you, you have really seen this such a strong interest on understanding what motivates people or you think it's something that only few leaders do and maybe why? Why is that? It's a very direct question and I'm trying to answer as direct as you said. I remember still today, and I will not mention the company, but a few years passed by, a conversation in which we were doing a team alignment session with an executive. And I said to him, I think we need to be clear on what these people are motivated by. And this guy looked at me very, very honestly and very bluntly and said, but it's clear what people are motivated by. And I say, so what? Well, by making the number and making the budget. And I said, no, I don't get up in the morning. I don't get up from my bed in the morning and say, oh, yeah, today I'm going to make my budget. I mean, I might be a wrong person. I might be in the wrong role, but I don't get excited by making the number. I get excited by making a difference to the company I work with. I can be excited to making a difference to the customer, to the business, but not by making the numbers. But 
just to get back to your question, which is, are people interested? Are leaders interested? I think that at times they just make the strong assumption, as I said, that what motivates me motivates the other. And they don't spend the time. This is, this is the most precious resource we have time, right? So time we lose is, is gone. We don't spend the time to ask people, to align with people on what really motivates them. Because at times you have surprise. At times you have a lot of surprise. Is that because sometimes leaders, they don't have really an open and transparent conversation with your people in terms of their personal aspirations, personal goals? Could that be possible? Because honestly, to understand people motivation, you really need to have that conversation. Very intimate, open, direct, uh, and transparent, really, conversation with your people. Is that right? Yes. I also think that more than... Uh, I'm not even talking about aspiration, Andrea, about what you want to be when you grow up. I'm just talking about why are you working here? What makes okay. you ticking every morning? And I think that there are a combination of two things. One is people, leaders, uh, take an assumption, which is if this person made it to this level, is because he's motivated by the same thing that me. And by yeah. the way, diversity play a huge role into this or doesn't play a huge role into this because you have a mid-40 type person which is confronting with a mid-40 type person. They're both white males. They have similar education, and it's normal to assume that they both love soccer, they both love beer, and they both love to make the number because it's what motivates them. When you start to put diversity in the mix, that changes a little bit. But why people are not talking about this with their people is that because this also requires a level of honesty. Also from the people to the follower, to the CEO, to say, you know what? I'm not motivated by making the number. Yes, I know it's important for my job. And I will make the number. But what I'm really motivated by is something else, which ideally is, is in line with the company vision as well, but it's not only making the number. That requires a bit of courage to tell your boss, I'm not motivated by making the number, but what motivates me is something else. Nevertheless, this will help us to make the number and to achieve the company goals. That has to be one-to-one. -one. Yeah, totally. That's great. Have you noticed any different terms of personal motivation about the company and what people are doing comparing to team motivation? Because sometimes, especially for people that are managing large teams, they don't have necessarily the one-to-one -one conversation about personal motivation. It goes more about team. I mean, in other words, do you see different dynamics going on with personal motivation against team motivation? Because it's one of the topics that is really fascinating for me because I believe there are some elements of personal motivation that goes into the team motivation, but the team motivation sometimes it's a little bit more complicated because there are the team dynamics involved. Yeah, the team dynamics is it's obviously very difficult and the larger the team, the more complicated it is. So I think some user just said mission and values before number, and that's uh, really key to me, right? There are still very few companies that hire people by checking whether their mission values end up with that culture, these three things are in line with the people you are hiring. And I would say that there is probably even less company that held their leadership accountable to truly to this. So how many companies have we seen in which a person, a successful person by the numbers still makes it to the top and stay to the top when it is not aligned with the values of the organization? And the team recognized that. So that's clear. So as long as the leader is accepting that a person is successful because he makes the revenue and the margin, and although he's not uh, sticking to the team bond, to the team culture, 
is he or she is still around, that is detrimental to the performance and mm-hmm. the alignment of the team. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is numbers. And then I will stick to that. That's very interesting. It's not an easy topic to cover, by the way, the difference between personal and team motivation. Now, how much in your experience, having a bold vision and big strategic goals really help people to be more motivated? Because for me, there is a definitely a correlation between the level of engagement and motivation in people for the execution phase of the vision when the vision is so strong that can really be so visionary, so bold, so compelling that people really, they are able and ready to make a next step, to do something more than usual, to go beyond the drift, if you like. Yeah. The short answer is that definitely helps people. Having a bold uh, vision helps. I have to admit there are industries in which this is relatively easy and industries mm. this is relatively complicated. With all due respect to my history, I found uh, extremely hard to be motivated in the financial services industry, for instance, because the impact on what motivates me, and I'm motivated by making people grow, I'm motivated by making an impact, is much less than in other industries like pharmaceutical or even public transportation or even the industry I'm in today. So if we do a good job in A2A, we just help keep the cities clean, the environment clean, provide energy and decent services, provide water clean. So that's something that you can see the impact on your own activity. And you can motivate your people by that. In other industries, when you are trading uh, financial products, it's hard. It's hard to see your impact on the consumer. It's hard to see the impact on the communities. We need to find different ways to motivate people, I guess. I agree. I think that is a valid point. I was actually thinking about financially, also the crypto industry after what is happening exactly. at FTX, right? How can you be motivated in that situation? So you have to be more creative. So the industry really helps. And I think more importantly is the impact really that you make on the society at the end of the day. Because the bigger is the impact, the easier it will be for people to be mobilized around that kind of vision, of course. There is an element of that for sure. Okay, let me stop for a second, guys. So thanks for the comment. It's how the pools people. It's a great. So if you have any comment or questions so we can start looking at them so we can probably answer to the best of our of course, knowledge and ability. So feel free to ask questions, to contribute, to engage, because that's how it's going to work the second part of this event. Mauro, before getting to the execution phase, I have another question about silos, because you mentioned before, you haven't used the word silos, but that's what you were referring to, in terms of how people can benefit from each other, how different groups of people in the organization can benefit from each other. And as you said, a common vision is maybe a strong vision, but shared objective that you can be measured, that definitely is going to help people to share more. But still... Many organizations, unfortunately, they are living every single day with this problem of silos. Of these silos, they are not really helping to get the most of the performance because people, they operate in a micro environment based on their leader, how the leader set the group dynamics. So what is maybe one advice that you would like to share in terms of how can we burn down these silos in organizations? So I do have the answer to this question, but I will keep it when I retire and I put my own consulting company. So <laughs> I give you some answer, but not the definite answer. No, joking aside, I wish I had that answer. But one thing that worked extremely well in my experience is a couple of things, maybe. 
One is make people rotate through different parts of the organization. So the more people grow inside the organization, the more people see other things, the more people see other businesses. And some companies are doing it the very early days. Some companies are doing mid-stage career. Some companies are doing late-stage career. But my answer would be do it as much as possible and as much as professionally you can do it. Because then you start to put yourself into the proverbial shoes of other people. And then when you are in corporate, you understand why the, the line and the business line are not giving you that answer. And when you turn around, you understand that what makes your uh, perspective different then. When you turn from one local organization to a global organization, you understand the different need. When you turn from one business to another business, you understand the different challenges. And then you create more and more a common culture around we are the same company. So that would be one. The second one would be there's still power in uh, assigning objectives and assigning uh, and working out things like a global program, global bonus pool, in which my growth, my money, my whatever is tied to the benefit of the whole company. Obviously, the larger the organization, the more complex this is, but the more you do things, the more you tie career and rewards of people to other parts of the organization, the more powerful it is. Having said so, complicated enough, right? When you talk about multi-billion dollar corporation or thousands of people, silos tend to be there. So in other words, if I understand what you're saying, I'll come back to the first point, but to the second point in terms of rewards, what you're saying is you have to find a more collaborative approach in terms of setting rewards for people in order to make sure that their rewards is not based on their only activity within the group. Yeah, I love that. It's an excellent suggestion. On the first point that you mentioned about job rotation, I love that. It's such an underestimated impact on performance and on burning down silos. I agree. I think it's very few organizations, they do it. I mean, or maybe they do it, but they don't do it effectively. So it's more like, at least my personal experience, even when I started my career more than 20 years ago was, okay, get into the job rotation for the first two, three years. And then we build your skill set, we build your professionalism, and then you become vertical anyway. On the other end, there are some organizations, I won't mention the name, but is in, by the way, in energy industrial business, that what they do, they keep rotating jobs for people, even when they are in 10, 15 years into organization. So I think it's really extreme at some point. And that might be probably counterproductive because I've heard people say, yeah, we learn everything in this organization, but I don't really know who I am right now because I've been doing so many different things in my career. So I think there has to be a balance, right? There has to be a balance. I think that the important thing when you talk about uh, career uh, development, we often speak about uh, career development in individuals. Often we forget, uh, and this is true again for diversity, we often forget that you can put a leader that doesn't know anything about the topic, I'm just, you know, just mm -hmm. making that extreme, as long as the team around him or her is a team which is competent. You need to think about where you're putting the people and what type of uh, mandate you give uh, even to very senior leader. And what is the value? Obviously, at a certain point in your life, you end up being kind of stuck in a place. Nevertheless, if you had the, the challenge, the, the luck, as well, to experience different parts of the, of the business, 
still you have a company mindset. So one thing we often talk about is what is called enterprise-wide leaders. The company, the leaders that think about the whole company and not about their single piece. So I think that this starts with early days in a company and try to develop people throughout the different paths. And by the way, having said so, when you're talking about somebody that can potentially work 40 years in a company, thinking about vertical growth is almost impossible. So you do need to have a different career path, which moves you around the company silos. And how people, Mauro, in your experience, normally react to job rotation, especially executives, especially people, they are already into a more senior role. What is, in your experience, if you can share the typical reaction without making any judgment, but is something they're taking lightly or you find some little bit more resistance normally? I've seen this in different companies. I remember one of my, uh, you know, the company I worked with for, for quite a long time in pharmaceutical. This was almost required by the people. It was almost like, uh, we want to rotate. We want to grow because they saw that this was rewarded and it was rewarded at the very top of the organization. So as long as you see that the people at the very top of the organization themselves have changed different businesses and they've been rewarded for that, well, that trickles down, right? And people say, well, if I want to get there, that's important that I see different parts of the business. I think that's the key element. In other organizations, I think I never found anybody that would say, I'm resisting. People at times might be afraid of having different, being stretched too much. And again, the company has to take the responsibility to help and accompany the person to show that he or she can make it, right? So what are the support mechanisms? One thing we don't do well is we just put somebody in a job and then we assume that he or she can make it without providing enough development and enough support, which is not training, but is also support. Somebody you can talk to, maybe in headquarter or in the previous organization or ask somebody to mentor this person. Not often this, this is done properly. Yeah, I understand. I think it's a solid advice. So thank you, Mauro. So we have a question. I don't know whether you got it too, Mauro. I'm struggling to understand the first question. I will start with the second. So what are the policies that set those barrier breaks in motion without hurting big egos inside the silo? So it's a question about policies. Is there anything specific or that's maybe too technical question about policies? So I'm not sure. Let me try to understand the question. Uh, yeah, by the uh, way, Mauro, let, let's ask the user because there is no name. If you can maybe clarify your question as we go, so maybe we can get a better answer. So, so one thing I've seen, uh, the barrier, you were mentioned people are resisting to rotation. And my answer is that a lot of manager feels like their employee is their employee. And that's the first thing that we need to break. The employee is not your employee. The employee is an employee for the company. Is somebody that provides skills, values, work, hours into the company. So it's a company responsibility, it's a leadership responsibility to allocate the best person to the best opportunity. And that's that territorialism by itself is part of the, of the silo thinking, right? So exactly. I keep all my tribe into my camp and I will never allow anybody which is too good to go elsewhere because I will benefit from that. So rewarding people for showing uh, ability to grow people and to let them go is one of the policy or one of the objective that you can assign to leaders. People that make people grow should be rewarded even publicly, whatever type of reward system the company has in place. Okay, excellent. Great. So while we're waiting maybe for a little bit of clarity on the first question to the LinkedIn user, 
have a good question from my good friend Olivier. So he says, it's not off topic, but I think it's following what we were discussing about job rotation. I think it's worth answering to this question. He says, many people don't believe anymore to having a career within the firm. So it's a bit pessimistic view, but then it related to toxic culture, management, and then what's going on right now you know, with the great resignation, quiet quitting. So what's your view, Olivier, about people right now, whether they're really suffering from not having a career or maybe they don't want to have any more a career or is it just a very partial view of what's going on in the world? So first of all, I think that uh, great resignation is different in, the, in different countries, right? So in Italy, for instance, everybody's talking about great resignation. I don't see any. I see people changing jobs. Thanks God, people are changing jobs and changing company. Why I say thanks God? Because I think that people are voting with their feet and it's good that organizations are losing people if they're not doing a good job. I mean, that's to me as a leader, puts myself on my toes every morning. So to do a better job every day I come in the office to make this environment, this company attractive for the people that are here to stay and for the people that are out there to join. So I think that this is very healthy. A market in which people are moving is very healthy as every environment. I, I'm a strong believer in uh, uh, freedom to change producer, change company, change supplier, everything else. So I think that this put leaders in a spot, right? So things, uh, one thing I still hear in companies is, and this is especially true in Italy, I guess, is, uh, well, people should be thankful because we provide them a safe job. And excuse my French, this is bullshit. This is not the way it works. People, if they have a better option, they will walk away and toxic environment is still out there. So the challenge for us is to intercept the toxic leader. The challenge for us is to, as I said earlier, not to accept certain type of behaviors in management and get rid of those people or change them if you can, or get rid of those people because this will poison the full image and the full environment of a company. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you said that because I'm a strongly believer that people, they are hurting the culture and the organization, regardless of the great performance they have. I don't think they have a space in the organization, or at least they need to have a different role based on maybe what they're doing, if they're impacting the culture. But it is true what Olivier was saying. People do not believe in a career. I agree. I mean, if you go back 20 years ago, mm. this was already written there, right? So 20 years ago, we start reading things about thing will, people will not work 40 years in the same company, they will change and so on. So I think we need to be more open to an environment in which people come, join, go, come back. I think, you know, the alumni thing about having people go and coming back is something we have to explore more. And to be honest, I keep saying I married once and they promised eternal love to one person. I never married any company. I could have stayed 40 years in the same company, but that's not the way business is. So that's why every morning you need to motivate yourself to provide new challenges, new stimulus, new ideas to the people that are around you in order that they feel engaged. And especially, Andrea, quiet quitting is what keeps me awake at night. It's not the people that resign. People resign and they are, as I said, voting with their feet. People that are staying and doing the bare minimum not to be noticed That's what worries me because these are the people that are not doing the extra mile or even the extra meter. Which is the phenomenon that has been described as a quiet quitting, right? So they're staying, but they're not there. I mean, mentally, maybe physically, but they're not there. They're not really, as you said, happy to make an extra mile for the company because they don't believe anymore in the organization. I think you're right. 
and also based on what you said before, I was reflecting to the beginning of my career. And when I left my first company, I remember, I mean, I wasn't there for more than four years, but still, I remember, gosh, I spent at least a good couple of weeks or maybe more thinking, oh my God, how they will react to this? How is a good decision for me? I feel guilty. This idea of feel guilty of leaving an organization is not there anymore, right? Not there anymore. It's not there anymore. It's a different I, world. I'm not idealistic about that either. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's okay. I mean, this is a job. So as I said, you didn't marry for those who believe in marriages. You didn't marry any company. That's why it makes the life of an, an executive much more interesting because you need to re-engage your workforce every single day. And you need to provide uh, challenges to yourself and to them every single day. Yes, totally. Great. And by the way, we have a great comment from Vittorio saying, knowing how to adopt a fluid leadership style is certainly a key factor in people's motivation process. This involves continuous updating, daily training, self-criticism, and the ability to reinvent yourself every day, giving priority to building shared value is spot on. I don't think there is anything else to add to this great comment. So, Mauro, before ending to the end of the show, I would like to ask you the other important question. We'll see whether we can cover in a relatively short period of time. Is about execution. So we said we understand now how to provide alignment, to be the alignment. We understand the element of performance matrix, the motivation, the silos, how to break silos. What are the system and tools and ideas to break these down silos? But at some point, we still need to mobilize people. So. Even when everything works, sometimes the execution doesn't really work. So we know execution is by far one of the major challenges across the globe. So very few people, there's very few organizations are really able to execute the, even the good strategy they have. Is there anything else that it's worth sharing from your experience in terms of how to mobilize people, even when we said everything right, as you described, but still there is something is missing. Still there is something else to do. What else can we do in order to mobilize people to execute? So one thing I found to be very powerful is uh, something that I guess the whole audience knows, which is cascading of objectives and to make the team alignment session around the objective setting at the beginning of your cycle, whatever that cycle is, you know, is the, the year, the quarter, the week, to, uh, to know that everybody knows everybody else's objective is important and having a way to contribute to that. So talking about silos, one thing that uh, burn down silos is uh, to know what uh, is this person providing me and how I can help him or her to provide me something with alignment of objectives makes sense, team alignment session. One thing that makes absolute sense to me, and we don't do that enough, is to let people know how the overall company is doing. Again, to burn down silos, you might have a leader that talks about their own piece, but having the CEO frequently talking about the overall company performance and what's going on in the business is very common, but not as common as it should be. And the other thing is around, you know, again, providing great example of recognition of people that are doing things across the businesses. And uh, I'm a big believer of not being afraid of showing the good that other people have done. At times organizations are saying, well, Andrea has done something good, but I don't want to recognize him too publicly because Mauro has also done something good. And then he might suffer about that. I say, you know what? Take the risk. Just let people know why somebody has been rewarded, why he has done something good. And then next time, more people will be motivated. So, I mean, that's two, three things that I've seen working well. 
on the other, which it boils down to one thing, which is uh, communicate in a transparent way. That's again, is to me, is the key, is the key element because transparency provides trust, provides honesty, provides alignment at the end of the day. It's funny because every time collectively we talk about specific strategies to drive down what has been aligned at the top, but we, it always comes down to communication and making a communication powerful and frequent in the right way. Because one thing that I noticed, one of the team alignment work I've done in the past with a company was actually that. So what I realized, Mauro, was that the executive team was super well aligned. It took a while to align themselves as a team. And then they decide exactly they, how they want to work together, the vision, the strategy, so many great things. But then the question was, yeah, but we are not seeing this going down. We yeah. don't see this. And they were starting to look at, in my experience, to their own problem. They were looking at, yeah, but you know, it's because they don't understand what we're doing or because maybe we need to define something different. So more about the technical elements of that but was only, only, only about communication. They didn't really build the story. So I think storytelling, for example, for me, is one of the most, most wonderful, effective way to drive down the alignment from the top. Fully right? agree. agree. And, uh, and storytelling and working the talk is the other thing. To show people that the team is aligned is one thing. At times, as you said, you look down at the middle manager and say, oh, we are great. It's our people that do not understand and they are the problem. Mm-hmm. And at times you don't engage them, you don't spend enough time to engage them and to let them understand what you want to achieve again. It's, it's about storytelling, as you said. And also, I think there is one probably even deeper problem is the fact that when that happens, maybe the executives, they don't understand that the other people, they don't see the world in the same way that they do. And so even the perception element is so critical when it comes to that. So in other words, I think it's the good news, it's much easier than we think driving down all the strategy as long as you put yourself in other people's shoes and you communicate it and walk the talk. And Andrea, I do believe that I work with thousands of people, obviously, and I cannot think too many that come in the office or in the factory or in a shop every morning and say, today I'm going to do something bad for the organization. So I'm going to harm the organization, I'm going to harm my boss, I'm going to harm my colleagues. So people normally start with good intention. And having the ability to channel that positive energy into the right direction is most of the time something we don't do well enough. Absolutely right. Great. So I have two or three quick, quick question and answer for you, just to understand a little bit more about you, Mauro. Just very two minutes. But before that, I'll open for the final time the comment box and the question, if you have maybe the last question, because then we will probably need to leave. But anyway, you can connect with me or Mauro if you have further questions or comments to make. I mean, this LinkedIn live comments will stay there anyway. So if we have time and we did not answer to your question, either me or Mauro, we can go back and maybe answer that. Otherwise, you can, of course, connect. Mauro, the last very, very quick question for a very quick answer. What is maybe one thing that you really learned across all your career? And by the way, we did not prepare this. So maybe Mauro is not ready for that. No, no, I'm ready. Oh, yeah, okay. One thing I've learned is I spent seven years of my career in Italy in a company which is American, and I spent seven years, I was in uh, mainly in compensation and uh, HR management thing, and I spent seven years in the explaining to the Americans that were coming over every year why Italy was different. And I spent uh, the rest of my 30 years career 
going around the world. And one thing I've learned is that there are more things, and this is very simple and maybe stupid, but we do have more things in common across individual and across organization and culture than things that separate us. So trying to justify why Italy is different to somebody that is managing the globe is not a very smart thing to do. One thing is to say, try to work on what is common rather than what differentiate us, because there is much more we have in common than in difference. That's great learning, and I agree, because we tend to look at our own place and thinking always that we are so different than others. In reality, as you say, we share more than we think. And the other thing is, is there anything maybe that you would have done differently in your career? Who you are right now and what you are doing right now is just a consequence of a natural step that you needed to have. Or maybe there's something different you would have done. Well, I've done a couple of stupid things. In hindsight, obviously when I did it, they were not, uh, they didn't seem to be stupid, but my risk profile is very high. So I have a very high risk tolerance. And some of the things I did were very risk takers. So in hindsight, you can say you shouldn't have done that, right? So just to mention one, I shouldn't have left Zurich in Switzerland in a very safe environment to go to Brazil in a new company in a different industry. And this didn't work out well, not so much because of me, but because of the situation that pan out there. There was a lot of uh, challenges. It was something that I could have avoided, yes. I like to think that because of that move, I was able to land uh, a year later a fantastic job back in Italy, which I probably wouldn't have gotten. So, yeah. Uh, it's the power of serendipity, right? So you never know. You never exactly. know. Great. Maybe last question about reading. So I don't know whether you are a book reader, Mauro, but if there is any book in your life that really made an impact, either a personal level or professional level, a book that really stands out from maybe from others. There is one book that I read recently and I found that is a good summary of things that I'm trying to do myself, which is a book of Simon Sinek, which is his last book, is The Infinite Game. I think it's a summary of leaders that want to look forward and they don't think that running a company as, you know, a series of win or lose type of move, but more aligned long term. And the thing that resonates a lot with creating a company that has purpose, that has an impact, that wants to make things good, even in the environment and the industry in which you're working on. So that's a book that I would, it's an easy read. It's like the classic 180 pages type book, which you can read. So it's a good one to me. Yeah, for a long old flight normally. So exactly. <laughs> that's brilliant. And by the way, I share with you the risk taking profile, so the risk profile that you have. So we are in the same space there. So it's interesting. I think it brings out opportunity. It's risky as well, just for the nature of the profile. But you know, that's who we are. That's it. So thank you guys. I don't see any other questions there, but thank you so much really for your contribution. You made such a great question and comment. So I hope that we answer your question and that what we covered today was in line with what you expected. But again, if there is anything else that maybe is missing that you want to find out and maybe discuss either personally or professionally with all of us, we'll be definitely happy to do so. So if you're there, just join me to thanks Mauro for joining me and spending his valuable time with us because it's never, I never taking this for granted. So. Mauro, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Andrea, and thanks to everybody.